Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. Here with me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, brother? I'm feeling good, Foltz. How are you, my friend? I'm great. I feel good. Ready to go. Uh, got a good show tonight. It's going to be a... Uh, it's going to be one that you got to do some really like pay attention close because it's going to be some big terms dropped. We don't want you to get lost at all. But, uh, you know, as you can see from the title, we're going to be dealing with time tonight. And, uh, you know, that could go any direction. Yeah, there is so much to it. Uh, so many facets to it. So much involved with it. It's been a pleasure uh, researching it with you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, time has been one of Subtle Beast's. I would, you know, I venture to say one of our favorite topics because it can go in so many different ways. I mean, time travel for me has always been one of the most fascinating uh, topics to discuss because of the fact that, you know, nobody really knows what would be involved. So talking about it and, and going in any direction and, you know, running into paradoxes. It's always a good time for me. A rip in the space time continuum. Yeah, you've, totally. You've always heard that one. Totally. Uh, going back in time, going in the future, two different things. Going in the past and going in the future, uh, obviously massively different things. Well, sure. I mean, uh, I would be, I would be, I would be for being able to go back in time if only. Uh, when you got there, it was almost like you were just seeing it playing out in real time. They couldn't see you. You couldn't interact. That way, you couldn't really change anything. Right. If you could take like your, um, not your natural body, but like your mind back, like your energy, if you could, your aura. Right. Almost like kind of being plugged into the matrix almost. from like if you could Exactly. Just, just go right in there and just interact. So, well, we got quite the show for you tonight on time. Um, so... Uh, you know, without further ado, we're going to kick it off. So time is not real, is what physicists are saying. And physicists show everything is happening at the same time. Time is not real. It is a human construct to help us differentiate between now and our perception of the past. An equally astonishing and baffling theory states, The concept of time is simply an illusion made up of human memories. Everything that has ever been and ever will be, is happening right now. That is the theory according to a group of esteemed physicists who aim to solve one of the universe's mysteries. Now, most people do not even consider the concept of time, but there is nothing in the laws of physics to state that it should move in a forward direction that we know. The laws of physics are symmetric, ultimately meaning that time could have easily moved in a backward direction as it does forward. That would be crazy. That's almost like a like Benjamin Buttons. Yeah. So, I mean, if time is going backwards, it's just really the, the human's perception of it. It's not really the physics of the Earth that would change. Right. Exactly. Now, some adherents uh, to the quote-unquote big crunch theory, they say that time will run backwards when the universe stops expanding and starts contracting back in on itself. Now, this conundrum is, is to why we interpret time in a forward motion and has led scientists to question the why. Inevitably, some have concluded that time is simply a human construct. Which, if you look at the animal kingdom, it does seem that time is a human construct. Well, sure. Um, just based on our own experiences with, uh, with being conservationists and hunters, when we go out hunting for, uh, hunting for whitetail, in uh, archery is right when the times have changed 
Now, the deer aren't like, okay, we're not coming out till tomorrow till 7 a.m. Right. They're coming out when it gets light out. Same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they just know to do that. <clears throat> now, some physicists, they argue that there is a block universe where time and space are connected, otherwise known as space-time. The theory which is backed up Einstein's theory of relativity states that space and time are part of a four-dimensional structure where everything that has happened has its own coordinates in space-time. This would allow everything to be real in the sense that the past and even the future are still there in space-time, making everything equally important as the present. Now, that one reminds me of the flux capacitor when Doc Emmett Brown is explaining it to Marty. He says, this is where you are. This is where you've been. This is where you're going. Exactly. Those are the coordinates kind of that they're talking about. Well, sure, because you should always know where you've been before you know where you're going. Now, um, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, there's a physicist named uh, Max Tegmark. Uh, and he, uh, he represents uh, space.com. And uh, he says, we can portray our reality as either a three-dimensional place where stuff happens over time or as a four-dimensional place where nothing happens, which would be the block universe. And if it really is the second picture, then change really is an illusion because there's nothing that's changing. It's all just there, the past, the present, and the future. So we have an illusion at any given moment, that the past already happened and the future doesn't exist yet, and that things are changing. But all I'm ever aware of is my brain state, which is right now. The only reason I feel like I have a past is that my brain contains memories. Uh, There's a British physicist uh, by the name of Julian Barber who has authored several books on the subject of time. And uh, Julian describes everything as a series of nows. Uh, Now, Dr. Julian uh, told physicist and author Adam Frank in the book About Time that cosmology and culture at the twilight of the Big Bang, as we live, we seem to move through a succession of nows. And the question is, what are they? Well, he goes on to explain adding to space-time theory where everything has its own place. You can think of it as a landscape or a country. Each point in this country is a now. And I call the country Platonia because it is timeless and created by perfect mathematical rules. Wow. I mean, interesting. It is. It is. Just to point out there, Max Tegmark said those comments in an interview with Space.com. He doesn't represent Space.com. Oh, thank you for the clarification. No problem at all, man. Now, uh, the Dr. Julian, uh, he adds that we perceive as the past is simply an illusion formed in our brain. The only evidence you have of last week is your memory. But memory comes from a stable structure of neurons in your brain right now. Now, the only evidence we have of Earth's past is rocks and fossils. But these are just stable structures in the form of an arrangement of minerals we examine in the present. The point is, all we have are these records, and you only have them in this now. Which is very interesting. Yes, it is. <clears throat> because as they're saying that everything, the future, the past, and the present are all happening all at the same time. I mean, the best way for me to wrap my head around that is that if, if you're doing something, if you're building something, 
all the while as you're completing different steps, yeah, you're presently working on it, but that part that you already completed, that's in the past already. And when you're going to be done, that's going to be the future. And then it just all comes to a peak. I, I, no, when we were trying to explain this to each other earlier, and I said, Fultz, the real like the difference for me is there's a future that that hasn't happened yet and there's a past that's already happened so what i would call the now is what separates the future from the past cuz even as we just said that right I was it becomes say. the past i was going to say i mean the now by the time you say now it's in the past right but it, the future hasn't happened yet so as the future comes upon us and turns into the past to that separation point, I believe, is what we would consider as now. Which would be, if it was looking like a like a pie diagram, it would almost seem like it was the thinnest line you could possibly put in between it. It, it. You could explain it as a big crashing wave coming at you, and you're looking at it, but you're not wet yet, but you know that you're going to be, and then there's a point where you become wet, and that is it. That yeah. is that point. But then when the wave knocks you over, that's the future. That's the past. But it didn't knock you over yet. Well, wait, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that was perfect to lead into uh, Steve telling us about if time is an illusion. Is time an illusion? We are born. We die. We call the span that separates these events time. It's a passage. The passage is perhaps the most fundamental feature of our human experience. Yet we are incapable of saying exactly what it is. Worse, the laws of physics don't help. That time exists is undeniable, but the way we experience it makes no sense. <laughs> That's what I'm starting to learn now. Exactly. There's an old joke about time. It's nature's way of keeping everything from happening at once, says physicist Nobel laureate Steve Weinberg of the University of Texas, Austin. To us mortals, time is the passage of the sun and the seasons, the progressive wrinkling of our skin as we age, irreversible markers of a present that is moving forward, and a future that is in electably becoming the past unlike uh, space time has a natural order if a influences b then b is always later in time this is the central feature of time as we perceive it as a flowing entity that orders our lives wow did the calm comes across you there's only one problem with this says david Deutsch of University of Oxford, it's nonsensical. We see ourselves as living in a present that marches down an imaginary timeline at a set pace. The imagery implies the existence of some sort of universal ticking time setting the beat against which all else is measured. But what is that other time, says Deutsch? We've only succeeded in creating a new problem. Interesting. In classical mechanics, time is something that passes uniformly regardless of whatever happens in the world. For this reason, Newton spoke of an absolute space and an absolute time. On the other hand, Einstein's special theory of relativity predicted that time does not flow at a fixed rate. Moving clocks appear to tick more slowly relative to their stationary counterparts. Quantum mechanics does not neglect the time either. In the standard model, photon does not experience time. 
Some new theories suggest that time does not exist at the quantum level. The study of the quantum universe shows us that time does not exist. It shows us that time is a function of, re- of relativity only and exists relative to some arbitrary point of reference. Whatever else may be said about time, one thing is certain. It defies definition. The best way we can say it is that we all know what time is intuitively. The seventh edition of Webster's Collegiate Dictionary tells us that time is the measured or measurable period during which an action, process, or condition exists or continues. Of course, what is the lexicographer lexicographer has done here is to tell us that time is defined by its measurement and that measurement is the period of time during which something occurs. He has not told us what time really is. In fact, in that definition, he really only defines what a clock is. What is the nature of physical time, really? Well, it's interesting because... If you were going to visit some, let's say some star system like the Pleiades, and you were going to get in your ship, and once you got there, and you had to travel, obviously, at the speed of light or faster, when you get there, and they would ask, well, how long did it take you to get here? You'd be like, well, it depends on how you look at it. It does. If you were traveling at faster than the speed of light, how would you really measure that? Exactly. I I don't know that we have a word in our language that would signify if they said, how far away are you? It would be relative to the speed of which you were traveling. Right. Right. And I mean, it's crazy. And, yeah. Cause I mean, the sunlight takes eight minutes to get to earth. So <clears throat> traveling at what? 220,000 miles per second is the speed of light. I mean, tell them about the, uh, the, the, uh, Oh, the telescope. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching an interesting documentary where they're talking about if you were able to be, uh, again, I'll just use the Pleiades as as an example. If you were a civilization living on the Pleiades and you were able to build a massive, massive, pardon me, um, telescope with a a lens that would just be, you know, the size of probably the earth is what the math came down to. And, but you would be looking at the earth since time takes so long to get back to the earth, what you would be seeing in your telescope once that visual reached earth, you would probably be seeing uh, the dinosaurs roaming the earth because it takes so long for that light to get back to the earth that that's you'd be seeing the past. So even if we were amazingly more technologically advanced than we are and they were looking for someone possibly that was technologically advanced, they wouldn't know it because they wouldn't be seeing what it is that it's happening on Earth now. Sure, because, I mean, if it went back to the to the age of the dinosaurs, they're still going to have 250 million years until, you know, man. That's crazy. It, it really is. I mean, it, it just goes to show that, that time is a construct and it all depends on different variables. Now... There's a uh, there's a man named uh, Alfred uh, Manfredi that works for the Boeing company and he has uh, he put out some statements on on time. Now he wrote, I would argue that any dimension could be called an illusion if we did not perceive it from a higher dimensional in space. Consider this first dimension, a dot in space. If that's all there was, there would be nothing, and we would perceive nothing. 
Now, as you arrange many dots consecutively and in the two-dimensional space, the first dimension takes on meaning. At least now, the concept of the first dimension can be understood. Three-dimensional space expands on two-dimensional two space, allowing objects to be defined conceptually. But still, nothing exists because all matter is frozen. Nothing can even be formed. Now, time allows three-dimensional objects to be perceivable, as much as flat two-dimensional space allowed one-dimensional dots to be conceptualized. Mathematics has no problem at all defining multiple-dimensional spaces, in which time would be just another dimension. Physics deals with what we can see and measure, so it doesn't delve into these higher-dimensional spaces, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. So once we figure out how to detect these higher-dimensional realities, that's when we'll get a clear understanding of what time is. So that could be a really long time from now. <laughs> but it makes perfect sense. The one-dimensional dot, that getting its uh, frame of reference in two dimensions, and then two dimensions, three dimensions builds on that. Now all of a sudden, two dimensions has a completely new understanding and ability to be explained. And then three dimensions, if we can figure out four or five, if we can get to the fifth dimension, right. get past the fact that time is a human construct, get into the the universal flow of of reality and everything and not pay attention to time then that's when humans will evolve yeah it makes me think of uh the movie interstellar uh-huh the the scene uh at the end when uh he's in that um oh i forget what he calls it um the uh, it's behind the bookcase yeah yeah and he get, he's back there and he's <clears throat> trying to communicate with his daughter he's trying to convince himself not to go on this interstellar trip but um spoiler alert he finds out <laughs> that uh you know it really was him the whole time that you know he he sent himself basically and uh tesseract is what i'm thinking of. so he was in it was the tesseract he had ejected out of his spacecraft in the middle of a black hole due to pressure and all that and uh he started falling into this <clears throat> three-dimensional tesseract that kept him safe in the you know the vacuum of space while he was figuring out what needed to be done to uh, save mankind. And all that he could figure out was uh, that that time is not time is uh, is basically an illusion because in this tesseract it was every moment in this little girl's bedroom, and he had all this infinite images to able to figure out how he was going to save humanity and what he was realizing that was that uh besides gravity being able to uh go through multiple dimensions that love was able to be, go through multiple dimensions as well but and time was not able to be transcendent through multiple dimensions right because time was a construct because even as the tesseract starts closing he communicated with his daughter in the past, and the Tesseract's closing, and he says to that AI robot, did it work? And the robot says, I think it just might have. And then the next thing you know, he's floating near Saturn. But uh, sorry if you didn't see the movie. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm sure if you're, uh, if you're on the topics of Subtle Beast, Interstellar has definitely probably been seen by you. It's one of my favorites. So. And, and you know, the idea of love transcending time uh, it seems as if that's proven when you look at, say you're on a beach and you look at, you know, these teenagers walking down the sand and they're holding hands and they're in love and it's the first time they've ever felt it. And then you look right past them and you see two senior citizens walking down the beach, holding hands, 
feeling that same feeling, but being 50, 60, 70 years past those teenagers in their lives. Well, sure. And there's a totally different uh, way of looking at their love, too. I always look at a young love, teenage love, early 20s love is a very selfish love. You always want that person around. You want this. We're going to do this and that and together. But as you grow with the person, uh, what you really want as far as love is what makes them happy. So it's just like, okay, we don't always need to be together like we did. And like, you know, selfish love versus, you know, actual love. That's amazing that you, you pointed that out because that love as it goes along is kind of a, goes along that same uh, frame of reference that we were talking about with time where there's a past and a future and the now is that point that separates them in love that you're discussing. There's that selfish in infancy of love. And then at some point it transcends and goes on to that giving and wishing of happiness and that, right. that feeling that's kind of like the future. So that's a really cool idea. Fultz. I like that. Thanks. I mean, I was just thinking about it and, and, and it just made me think too. I mean, uh, with selfish love, I mean, look, I mean, as men, if we uh, if we want to marry a woman, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to make our claim to her. We're going to get down on one knee, and we're going to solidify this relationship. So, still in the selfishness phase, I'm asking you to be with me so that nobody else can have you. Right. Now, once that union is joined, then you can go on to start fulfilling that love, hopefully, in a good marriage, uh, to be able to... Uh, you know, let each other do what they want to do. Fulfill each other by each other fulfilling themselves. Yeah, and just truly wish that happiness upon that other person. Exactly. So, not to get too off topic uh, from uh, time. You, you brought up love there. I went. Yeah, but I mean, we were in Interstellarville, so. That's true, that's true. But uh, it's, uh, another statement that was made uh, by a man named Vladimir Kolchitsky from the National Academy of Science in Belarus. We are confronted with illusions as soon as the first time we open our eyes after birth, hmm. which is crazy because that line right there makes me think of the Matrix when Neo first opens his eyes and he says, my eyes hurt. And he says, that's because you've never used them before. Oh, that is, that is a very impactful line. I think of that with uh, my son's four years old and I see him outside and he's squinting down and you know, it's just that those eyes haven't been used like my eyes. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Steve, you want to tell us uh, what... Uh Michael Lerceau says, you're right. Life is finite for everyone. Nobody knows his time and time is the topic. Very good. So we got a few more quotes for some uh, from some different intellectuals that we're going to go over for you. Steve, please continue. Franco Pavese says to the author, Christopher, I will read your papers with interest. Can also advise me about some recent papers on the mind and the brain. In your studies on consciousness, I imagine that you have to involve memory, a brain function that is the foundation of our capacity to learn. Don't you think that memory is also a basic tool for the existence of the concept of time? About using fractals, I agree with you that nature seems to have them as one of its basises. However, that is implying, I think, a broadened vision of space. Out from our normal reach, are then you thinking that also the concept of space must be affected by the subjectivity of the normal human? Do blind from birth people have the same perception of space? 
That's very interesting because in pre-show we were actually discussing something very similar to, uh, you know, to the blind and what their perception is. And it was actually uh, something that was actually brought up to me by my 12-year-old daughter who, you know, she likes to have these in-depth conversations with me sometimes. And uh, we were talking about the blind and uh, she said, do you know that the blind, they don't just see darkness. She said, they don't see anything. And I was just like, wow. Because cause we, you know, we, we, we can't wrap our heads around that. We can't, we, you'd think that you would have to see something. But it'd be like, well, no, because take it to the next level. Let's just say that your eyes just weren't working. What if you didn't have eyes at all? You know, what would you see? Nothing, because you don't have eyes. So it'd be nothing. But what is nothing? It wouldn't be darkness. No, and because, it, would, yeah, and it wouldn't I mean, be something. Well, it would be, you associate like the... Light and dark. Right, the rising sun and the warmth of that sun on your face with the fact that there is light being conveyed to your face as well but someone who has never been been able to see it all can still feel that warmth but they can't associate it the same way that you do with light oh absolutely the blind needs sunlight even more so than the, than people with sight it it it, it it's, it's crucial to i mean i don't know if you've ever saw the uh the series uh the oa but uh there was a blind girl on that great show by the way if you haven't seen it um and during the movie she's being held captive and she said i need to go outside and he said you're fine like the others and she says the others aren't blind so she had needed to feel that skin you know to increase her other senses so right i'm with you on that <clears throat> now there was a guy named uh christopher james davia and uh he was writing a letter to uh, to uh cohort of his franco great question blind from birth i must admit to you i have thought for a long and hard about this dilemma i confess i have not come up with a satisfactory solution however we should not necessarily assume that our sense of space can only be derived from vision there is a young man blind from birth who is able to roller skate using <coughs> echolocation of course this just begs the question what about helen keller and those who were born with neither sight nor hearing <coughs> Pardon me. The next point I wish to make is rather subtle, not complicated, and requires a little preparation. Please indulge and consider the following meditation. <clears throat> it's a little uh, little poem that this guy had created uh, to help put things in perspective for just a little bit of meditation. It's called The Ghost and the Silverfish by Christopher James DeVia. <clears throat> now imagine you're in the ocean, a vast, unfathomable ocean. You're not on the surface of this ocean, but deep within its heart. The surface of this ocean is so far above your head that you cannot even imagine how far away it is. And the bottom of this ocean is so far beneath your feet that you cannot even imagine how far away it is. And the darkness that you're staring at, you do not know if it is the darkness of a thousand miles or the darkness of here in front of your eyes. And you have been here for so long that you have forgotten yourself. There is only the darkness and the sound of distant storms. Then one day out of the distance, a beautiful silverfish, and then it was gone. And it happened so quickly that you did not have the time to remember yourself so that you could really see the fish. But now do you remember yourself? There is the darkness. There is the sound of the distant storms. And there is the waiting for a silverfish. That is so complex and so deep. So deep. It's basically like you've just been trapped in darkness for so long that 
you don't even you're not even really aware of who you are where you are the only thing you can comprehend is you saw the silverfish one day so your only concept of time is hopefully i'll see that fish again right it's like complete sensory deprivation totally where you're completely engulfed in the nothingness that you actually like expand your limits out into it and kind of become the nothingness and forget yourself. Yeah, right. And it's like, it, it reminds me of times when people asked uh, astronauts, well, what is it like floating upside down and working in space? They said, well, we're never upside down. They said, because in space, there is no up, there is no down, there is no sideways. There's no orientation, right. If you're upside down to our orientation and there's no gravity, then upside down doesn't even exist. Precisely. Just like time. I got it, man. So why don't you drop uh, some knowledge on us, because I know the question is, why now doesn't exist, and the strange facts about time. So Einstein's relativity tells us that time results from gravity warping the fabric of reality, resulting in a picture that is weirdly at odds with our experience. Believe that. Time is relatively well described in our current physical theories. It's just that those descriptions are perpetual perplexingly at odds both with each and with each other and with our perception of what time should be time is not an absolute einstein's general theory of relativity established time as a physical thing it is part of space-time the gravitational field produced by massive objects the presence of mass warps space-time with the result that time passes more slowly close to a massive body such as Earth. And that concept, they kind of go over that in Interstellar as well. I was just going to say the same. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's pretty in-depth. But uh, there's a part of the movie where... Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've already ruined it for you. Yeah. So the, they're, they're by a black hole. Am I right on that? They're by a yep. black hole. Called Gargantua. And uh, they're, I guess, launching from the mothership on a smaller ship down to a planet's... Um, surface. Surface. To try and see if it's a suitable planet for future human beings to live. And because of the warp in time... And the gravitational pull of the black hole... The time in the mothership is... Seven years to 60 minutes on the time of the surface of this planet. Right. So every the astronauts, every hour they spend down on this planet, the, uh, the person waiting back in the ship that's just you know waiting outside the atmosphere for them to come back in their lander to the, you know, to the mothership, seven years. So that is an example of how time can be warped around a black hole. Due to gravity, just like Einstein said. And it's true. And one of the founding principles of a black hole is that its gravity pulls in light. Well, it's yeah, the gravity is so strong that not even light can escape. So the 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 theory is that time can also be bent by this massive gravity inside of a black hole, which is is really weird. It is, but it also leads us into our next segment where physicists are now stating that time might only exist in your head. Time, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means or the nature of time. Out of all pressures we face in everyday lives, there's no denying that the nature of time has the most profound effect. 
As our days, weeks, months, and years go by, time moves from past to present to future, and never the other way around. But according to physicists that govern our un- or physics that govern our universe, the same things will occur regardless of what direction time is traveling in. And now physicists suggest that gravity isn't strong enough to force every object in the universe into a forward-moving direction anyway. They refer to this as the disorder of time. Now, according to the second law of thermodynamics, as time goes by, the amount of disorder or entropy or entro- entropy in the universe will always increase. This goes back to those scrambled eggs. Once they've been disordered, you can't go back and lessen the amount of disorder applied to the particular system. Now, physicists have, for this reason, reluctantly settled on the second law as the source of time's arrow. Disorder always has to increase after something happens, which requires that time can only move in one direction. If it's all starting to sound a bit messy to you, that's because it is. Now, many physicists now suspect that when gravity forces enough tiny particles to interact with each other, the forward-facing arrow of time emerges, and entropy can increase. Now, the rules then can change to favor a more directionless universe only once these tiny particles start interacting with much larger things. But for that to work, entropy must have increased, which means the universe had to have started off more ordered than it is now, something that physicists have tried to explain by suggesting there are parallel universes where time runs forward, backwards, and sideways. I mean, you name it. Now, in an effort to get to the bottom of one of the biggest conundrums in modern science, a pair of physicists decided to test the assumption that gravity is the force behind all this craziness. And they, and they take, a, take a new look. So, in that part right there, the interdimensional travel, it, it goes back to what we were saying. Like, imagine if you're in our, our plane of existence and you did pop into another dimension that dimension's time could be completely different than what our dimension's time could be well sure what if the what if their time ran sideways what if their time ran faster or slower and you got back here and everyone had aged but you didn't i would think that that almost be a good thing maybe that you didn't age well i mean you would look awesome compared to the people that you knew but well depending on how how long you've been gone you might get back and you don't know anyone i don't know if it would be a good thing then well exactly because it would be kind of like relative to what you hold as the norm you know well so and if so if time is just a construct of your memory when you'd get back there then you then you'd have no construct of time because you'd have no memory of any of this you wouldn't be able to base your own personal voyage of life with the people that you uh, of what you've constructed in your mind as those around you yeah well think if it was like 250 years in the future anybody that you talk to and they said hey remember when you'd be like no <laughs> yeah <clears throat> everything they remembered would be in your future right exactly so the point at which particles are thought to transition from being governed by the arrow of time to being governed by the directionless laws of the universe is known as discoherence. As Nick Stockton explains for Wired, the most prominent hypothesis explaining discoherence is the Wheeler-DeWitt equation, which predicts when the seams between quantum and classical mechanics are erased thanks to gravity. 
But when physicist Dmitry Poltsky of Harvard University and Robert Lanza, head of Astellas Global Regenerative Medicine, ran measurements of gravity through the Wheeler-DeWitt equation, they found that once you do the math, the equation doesn't explain how time's forward-moving direction actually emerges. In fact, according to the results, gravity's effects kick in far too slowly to account for a universal arrow of time. That's crazy. It kind of goes back to the last part that says that gravity isn't powerful enough to move everything in the universe in that forward arrow of time. Which I find is interesting that they can even do these experiments because we don't even fully understand what gravity is. That's true. So for them to be able to run tests using gravity without even having a full understanding of it, but I guess that this is the paradox of time. So it's like we're basing everything off of the physics that we know to be true in the universe. But there's probably other multiverses, other star systems where they're just like physics goes on. The mathematic equation goes on. Well, it, it goes on, but it changes also. So in, on Earth, uh, gravity is explained as E equals MC squared. That's energy times the mass times, times the, speed. the speed of light squared. But if you were on a different planet and say the Earth had a gravity that was considered to be one because that's where we humans came from. Right. And you went on to a different planet and that planet had 130% like they do in Interstellar, then your time would be different because your gravity would be different. Well, yeah, because time would be relative to... The gravity, because you'd say, okay, well, how long does it take you to run a mile? I'd be like, well, depending on what planet I'm on, depending, exactly. depending on the gravity. And not only without change, you would weigh more and and heavier gravity. If you weighed 100 pounds on Earth, 130 times Earth's gravity, you'd be 230 pounds. And also, if you were 230 pounds, those it, evolutionarily speaking, humans may not be as tall as we are. That's very true. After time, that gravity may shrink us down. Humans may not live as long as we do. And then on the other side of the coin, if you say the gravity of the moon, which is much lighter than the gravity of the earth, if you lived on a planet like that, maybe we would grow taller in evolution. Which is, you know, brings up the question, which is, they say that science, physicists have said that the longer that you stay in space, the, uh, the larger that your cranium becomes, your head the longer that your arms and your legs have become. Well, if we look at extraterrestrials such as the greys, the tall greys, tall, spindly, big heads with the long arms, long eggs, long legs, then that fits right into it because they're you know, maybe they're constantly within space travel. And um, possibly in a, a lighter gravity, a lighter gravity, which also begs to differ the question, to bring up the question, do, would a lifespan then increase? Would you live, like the greys live a long lifespan, would you live to be 200 years old? Because your heart doesn't have to beat as hard. Yeah. I mean, so many different factors and variables, I guess, would come into play, too. What's the radiation like near your planet? I mean, if you're on the moon with the one-eighths gravity, but you're being exposed to a lot, a lot of radiation, you probably wouldn't live longer on the moon. Humans wouldn't. Right, because you don't have that environment that's protecting you, that atmosphere that has got all the particulate in that's bouncing those sun rays off of you. Right. So our papers show that time doesn't just exist out there, ticking away from past to future, 
but rather is an emergent property that depends on the observer's ability to preserve information about experienced events, Lanza writes. This suggests that time's arrow is subjective and determined by the observer, which means us. Einstein showed that time was relative to the observer. Our papers take this one step further, arguing that the observer actually creates time. So if you're not actually looking or witnessing something or viewing it, no time is actually passing? I think it means that it's relative to you as an individual, depending upon where you are. Like we just discussed, if you're not on this planet, your time may be warped. Right. And well, they say too, in in this, they've stated that time is a memory too. Um, I like to, at least uh, for a few minutes a day, I like to do some some kind of meditation just to be by myself, gather my thoughts, what have you. And I always found it hard to uh, clear my head of all the thoughts and memories and everything that's going on. And uh, I read this one tip that just said, if you just concentrate on your breathing, you're breathing alone. You can't really think about anything else. And I found it to be true. And it really helped me with my mind. It calms your mind. So it calms the, the time and the space in your head. So you can actually try and rejuvenate yourself, if you will. I've always been a fan of guided meditation. Uh, it's some For some reason, it helps me to get to that place faster. And I'm able to kind of release <clears throat> what it is that I'm thinking about and, and just listen to a voice and to go with this voice and to follow it. And it's, it's always helped me to, you know, get to that place where I can release everything and, and just be. I hear you. I totally agree. Now, uh, the idea, of course, is controversial. Uh, and this is what uh, Yasunori Nomura, a physicist at UC Berkeley who was not involved in the study, points out. The pair have failed to take the fabric of space-time into consideration and have to introduce a quality into the equation, observer time, that no one's even sure is real. Now, the answer depends on whether the concept of time can be defined mathematically without including observers in the system. So, if we want to explain the strangest of times in the universe, we're not there yet. But as Lanz and Podolsky suggest, maybe we're missing something. And as researchers suggested earlier this year, could that something be dark energy? Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, does time flow as we know it actually exist, or is it all in our heads? First off, let's run through a little refresher about the so-called arrow of time. Now, thanks to the forward-facing arrow of time, young becomes old, and the past becomes the present, which was once the future. You can't unscramble your eggs. You can't control Z, a broken leg. But if we forget about our own perspective for a second, zoom right out, look at the universe as a whole. And as far as we can tell, the only thing that governs the behavior of the universe are the laws of physics. But the problem is, is that all but one of these laws are considered to be completely time reversible, meaning that the same effects will be will occur regardless of whether time is running forwards or backwards. Now, whether through Newton's gravitational, Maxwell's electrodynamics, Einstein's special and general relativity, or quantum mechanics, all of the equations that best describe our universe work perfectly if time flows forward or backward. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, you just can't comprehend what it would be like to 
time backwards because what would it be like i know the movie benjamin buttons so what is it when you're born when you're born a baby you're old looking yeah and you just continue so eventually you just get so young that you die absolutely that's the 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 basis of benjamin buttons there's also the uh the superman philosophy right i mean i don't really see a problem if time would flow backwards because it would almost be in your favor like the beginning of your life would be a struggle because you would deal with like the aches and pains of being old but as life progressed your energy would increase you'd get younger you'd get fitter you'd get better looking you'd could just do well everything a little bit better yeah i mean it would i think it would be a completely different experience I mean, because you would look like a 20-year-old with, like, the knowledge of an 80-year-old. You'd be true. living the life of, of everyone's dreams if I only knew then what I know now. But would those experiences then curb what it is that makes you so, uh, you know, as a 14-year-old, you kind of have this not-scared feeling? Yeah. And uh, if you had lived 70 years before you got to that point, just the, the life experience, I think, would make you maybe not jump off that wall or jump off of something or True. do the things that you know kids do that make them aware of what not to do in the future. That's very true. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. It would, it would kind of impact you, and I think... I think that you would not live with that reckless abandonment that you do see in in youth. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Now, one one example of time reversal would be uh, quality in the universe is the path of a planet orbiting a star. And this is according to the force of gravity. Whether time runs forward or backwards, planetary orbits follow the exact same path. The only difference is the direction of the orbit. Now, Steve, what does that make you think of? Definitely the Superman. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, if you guys are familiar with the original Superman with, uh, with uh, what is his name? Christopher Reeves. 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 Yeah. Um, <laughs> he uh, went lowest. Le- Spoiler alert from 1980. That was, that was a Mandela effect. Yeah, reference. it was. Yeah, it was. So if you haven't seen the Superman from like 1978 or 80, spoiler alert, <laughs> Lois Lane dies at one point and Superman just can't handle that. So he flies into outer space. Of course, he's encountered by the people from his home planet of Krypton and they're like, you know, you can't do this, the son of Jor-El. We can't interfere with the human, but he does it anyway and flies the opposite orbit of the Earth so fast, creating the Earth to rotate in the opposite direction, actually creating time to go backwards so that he could get there the minute before she was killed and actually save her. Which, if the Earth was spinning backwards on its axes, I would believe that that would create the Earth to orbit the opposite way around the sun. Yeah, so wouldn't that just make everything that just happened start going in reverse? And if that was the case, would it be like watching, you know, an old VHS tape and instead of hitting play, hitting rewind? Yeah, I mean, but th- that's what they was portrayed in the movie. And if and if that was the case, would the faster that the earth spun backwards create time going backwards even faster? Apparently, because that's why he just kept flying faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. But now it was just to rewind like 
three minutes. You know what? I'm on board with it. Me too. I'm on board with it. I think that if you could do that, if you could somehow reverse the Earth's spin on its axis, that there could be a possibility that time would go backwards. Oh, yeah. And if you could do it, you definitely would, especially if you were in love with somebody. You, you mean like you and me? Well, n- not within love with each other, but I mean. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean like if you and I had the power to do it, I don't even think we, it would take us being in love with someone. I think that if I could do it, I would just do it. Yeah, I'd be like, I messed up my paperwork today. I'm going up. <laughs> I'd be like, I got to see if I can do this. <laughs> I was late for everything today. I'm starting over. <laughs> I'm going to spin the earth backwards just because I can. Right. Huh, we can dream. Now. Let's let's take a look. Let let's move along here because uh, we're getting closer to the end, but uh, it looks like it's still going to be a little complicated. Um, the misalignment between perceived time and clock time during lifetime. Hmm. Now, this effect is related to the cicadic eye movement. The cicades are unconscious jerk-like eye movements that occur a few times a second. In between cicades, your eyes fixate and the brain possesses the visual information it has received. All of this happens unconsciously without any effort on your part. In human infants, those fixation periods are shorter than adults. There's an inversely proportional relationship between stimuli processing the sense of, of time speeding by... So when you're young and experiencing new stimuli, everything is new. Time actually seems to be passing more slowly. As you get older, the production of mental images slows, giving the sense that time passes more rapidly. That, I think, is my favorite thesis or or theory in this entire program. Is Is that right there? I like it too. Now, changes in mental stimuli... It's, it's related to what we see. As physical mental image processing time and the rapidity of images we take in changes, so does our perception of time. And in some sense, each of us has our own mind time, unrelated to the passing hours, days, and years on clocks and calendars, which is affected by the amount of rest we get and other factors. The first person to look at time's passage through this particular lens was, was Bajan. He tells... Quartz, but his conclusions rest on findings of other scientists who have studied the physical and mental processes related to the passage of time. These changes in stimuli give us a sense of time's passage. The present is different from the past because the mental viewing has changed, not because somebody's clock rings. The clock time that unites all the, li- the live flow systems, animate, animate and inanimate, is measurable. The day and night period last 24 hours on all watches, wall clocks, and bell towers. Yet physical time is not mind time. The time that you perceive is not the same as the time perceived by another. Time is happening in the mind's eye. It's related to the number of mental images that the brain encounters and organizes in the state of our brains as we age. When we get older, the rate of which changes in mental images are perceived decreases because of several transforming physical features including vision, brain complexity, and later in life, the degradation of the pathways that transmit information. And this shift in image processing leads to the sense of time speeding up. That's pretty crazy. Mind time and clock time are two totally different things. They flow at varying rates. The chronological passage of the hours, days, and years on clocks and calendars is a steady, measurable phenomenon. 
Yet our perception of time shifts constantly depending on the activities we're engaged in, in our age, and even how much rest we get. An upcoming paper in the Journal of European Review by Duke University mechanical engineering professor Adrian Bijan explains the physics behind changing senses of time and reveals why the years seem to fly by as we get older. It makes sense. Now, why? Now, physics explains why time passes faster as you age. So, why don't you break that down, the physics behind that a little bit? So, fatigue also influences saccades, creating overlap and pauses in these eye movements that lead to cross signals. The tired brain can't transfer the information effectively when it's simultaneously trying to see and make sense of the visual information. It's designed to do these things separately. This is what leads to athletes' poor performance when exhausted. Their processing powers get muddled and their sense of time is off. They can't see or respond rapidly to new situations. Another fact in time's perceived passage is how the brain develops. As the brain and body grow more complex and there are more neural connections and pathways that information travels are increasingly complicated. They branch like a tree, and this changes in processing influences our experience of time. Wow. That's crazy. Well, I guess finally, uh, the last thing that would uh, come into play with time would be uh, brain degradation. As we, as we age, it influences our perception. Studies of the saccadic eye movements in elderly people show longer latency periods. For example, the time which the brain processes the visual information gets longer. And uh, what makes it more difficult for the elderly to solve complex problems? They see more slowly, but feel time passing faster. And that, that reminds me of the brain. The human brain is a cheater. And one of the things that it does is <clears throat> it creates, if you've seen something already, your brain knows that. And it, and it creates it for you without the actual retina and the lens of your eye um, making your brain see it. It's not like seeing something for the first time. You've already seen it and your brain knows that and it constructs it for you. So the more that we go through life seeing the same things that we've already seen, if you wake up every morning, you walk into the same bathroom and you get into the same car, you drive the same way to work, you go into your cubicle and you turn on the same computer, you take the same lunch break in the same lunch room every day, you eat the same sandwich and then you go back to your cubicle and you drive in your car to go home the same way and you walk in your house and your wife says the same thing those things all make time go faster the older we get the more we have those things the more things uh become complacent and the more cheating the brain does it makes time speed up and as we get older we feel like time is going by so fast but what we need to do to break up that monotony is to go out and explore these new things go out and take wild vacations to stimulate your brain and make it like we were young and seeing things for the first time so that we don't fall into that same old lull and that glut of life i totally agree because doing i mean that's just the definition definition of insanity is just doing the same thing over and over again, you know, and expecting a different result. But uh, I can relate to what Steve's saying because, uh, you know, once a summer 
we like to go down to to Myrtle Beach, and uh, you know the drive from where we live is brutal, and uh, like nine ten hours. But when vacation's over and we're driving home, you know my children always seem to say, uh, and you know, and, and I've noticed it myself, and so has my wife, that uh, coming home it always seems to be so much quicker than going down. Um, which would seem odd because you're not excited anymore about going to the beach. So you'd think that maybe that was the reason. But uh, what I believe is that you're going, you're starting to go towards things that you've already seen. So you have it in your memory. So everything's starting to become a little bit more familiar because you saw it on the way down. So time is perceiving as going quicker on the way home because memories are registering within your brain. You're getting that, that, almost like a feeling of nostalgia like i've been here before i know what's coming around the next corner precisely precisely and, and time starts to move faster I, I agree with that folks i mean time is a complex thing i mean it's something that you know we may not have the answer to in our lifetime maybe one day uh but until then you know we just have to uh you know find out different or have different theories and have different conversations and uh you know just compare notes i guess and enjoy it and that yeah and that's what we do we enjoy putting it together we enjoy taking the notes we enjoy getting it out to you guys so that's why uh we do this podcast on the regular because it's fascinating to us and uh, as our fan base grows we we're noticing that uh, it's fascinating to you guys as well Uh, i had a blast tonight it feels like it's going uh faster and faster folks uh, when we get together and we have our process down and when we reach out to the audience, it, it just feels so natural and so good. So I plan on doing this with you for a long time into the future. Oh, yeah, because, uh, you know, we said it on past podcasts. Uh, we got a lot of things coming up that is only going to be it's going to be it's going to make the subtle beast seem like uh, we were just in the infancy. We got some big things that are going to be exploding out of subtle beast. And uh, as always, come see us subtlebeastpodcast.com. Yeah, check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram, Subtle Beast Podcast. And, uh, you know, just share share the uh, podcast with your friends and family and your coworkers. Uh, show people that you have a different way of thinking and that uh, if, they have a, if they're interested in some of the things that you've been talking about with them, we'll direct them over here to Subtle Beast and we'll take the reins for you. And then you all can sit back and just relax. Yeah, show an old person how to download a podcast. Maybe turn somebody on to their very first podcast. If someone's never listened to a podcast, suggest that they check our show out. There's a ton of topics. We have over 55 episodes out there, full-length, hour-long episodes and more. Um, and share them, pass them around. Definitely. And, uh, we're just, cause we're going to keep cranking them out for you. Uh, if you haven't yet, please go out to, uh, wherever you are listening to us, whether it's on iTunes or whatever platform. And, uh, if you give us a, a five star review, that goes a, a long, long way. You guys have no idea. So we thank you for all your, uh, your, your time and, and hanging with subtle beast and, uh, just, just being loyal fans. Uh, I appreciate you. Steve appreciates you. And until next time, I'm Foltz. And I'm Steve. And we'll see you next time. Take care of one another. Bye-bye.